And a psychologically safe workplace, just like a psychologically safe, intimate relationship should be a place where you get to grow, Mm -hmm. where you get to try this and you, and there's some safety around that and you get to polish your edges. Welcome to Mindful Warrior Radio. Mindful Warrior Radio is a space we created to connect with incredible humans to share brave stories, authentic insight, and real knowledge. Thank you for joining us. My name is Cami Craig. I'm a former elite athlete, Olympic champion, turned performance and culture design coach at Mindful Warrior, and I'm your host of Mindful Warrior Radio. Today on Mindful Warrior Radio, we welcome our guest, Ann Betts. Ann is the co-founder of Be Above Leadership and an international speaker and trainer on the intersection of neuroscience, coaching, and human transformation. A certified professional coach for 20 years, Anne is the author of a groundbreaking white paper on brain research and coaching. She is also a published poet, using her understanding of the brain and consciousness to bring to life the wonders of the human soul. Anne excels at making the complexity of the brain come to life with depth, humor, and simplicity. I look forward to tapping into all the insights and knowledge of Anne Betts on today's episode of Mindful Warrior Radio. So I have Anne Betts here today. She is the co-founder and creator of Be Above Leadership, where um, I was able to participate in a year-long course for neuroscience, consciousness, and transformational coaching. Um, and I was so lucky to um, have Anne's teaching and presence throughout that time. Um, and we are so absolutely fortunate to have you on Mindful Warrior Radio today. So thank you so much for joining us, Anne. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and see where the conversation goes. So I, I want to start by asking Anne, neuroscience and relational trauma are the two topics that you have really, really specialized and ma- have your mastery in. And I am curious as to what drew you to these two and how have you merged them to teach them in the coaching world? Yeah, well, the the first part was I have been fascinated by human development and effectiveness, I think, since I was a little, little girl. And I just did not, I sort of came into this world not understanding why people operated in such unkind ways. Mm-hmm. Like I was one of those little kids, like I didn't understand war. I didn't understand that. Um, it didn't make sense to me. Maybe I come from another planet, but it's like, it's like, why, why would you do that? Why would you hurt people? So that's just been a question my whole life from, from the time I remember having questions, why would you hurt people? So I went in to study neuroscience because I wanted to understand what was happening in people's brains that would have them operate from such a state of, of, uh, nastiness or fear you know, what is that? Is there a different brain pattern for that? And that kind of led to, wow, not only do do there seem to be some brain patterning, there's also great correlates with coaching. And I was already a coach and a coach trainer for about 12 years or so by the time I studied, I, I found neuroscience and it was such an amazing fit and really exciting to see that so much of what I'd been doing as a coach could be validated by this research in neuroscience. So that was super cool. 
And then the second part, relational trauma, was because even as a very educated, fairly, I thought, sophisticated coach and human being, I got involved with someone who fit the definition pretty well of malignant narcissism. Mm. And my lawyer used to say to me, well, honey, you sure can pick them. And I'd be like, I didn't pick him. Yes. I did not choose him. What I chose was the mask he presented. I was conned. It was a relational con. And by the time I started figuring out what was going on, I had sunk costs. I was already sharing a home and purchased a home. I had all of these entanglements, which mm -hmm. is a very typical pattern. So I extricated, painfully extricated myself from that. And because I'm fascinated with neuroscience, I thought, if there is a pattern and there is a very clear pattern to toxic personalities, very clear as, as if they read the same rule book. Yeah. Well, the only way that happens is if there are neuroscience correlates, right? It's, you know, they don't read the same rule book in Nepal. And I've had clients from Nepal and China and Santa Fe, New Mexico. There isn't one rule book. Yeah. So it must be something that's happening on the brain chemical level, wiring level. And so that to me, give me a question like that. I'm going to try to figure it out. Right. So that's kind of how it, how that all came to be. Um, it was really from my own trying to figure out what had happened to me. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting. You're the mask that was presented and the experience of being almost conned, you know, and the direction I really want to go in our interview today is really talking about toxic cultures within the work environment and how to identify those. But really, you know, so many of us go through the interview process, almost trying to attune and be aware of not falling into these kind of toxic work environments again, and yet again, showing up in that same space, but even taking those learning lessons and trying to be aware and having those, you know, the interview process and connecting with people and really asking leadership some, um, some smart questions and still ending up in that same space. And I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about how, that today. And how like, do you avoid that? Exactly. Um, I mean, I think part of what you're yeah. saying is, is I think really good. And this is a shift that I've noticed even in the last 10 years or so is that people are starting to realize if I'm going to go work for a company, it's not just about selling them on me. Mm -hmm. They need to sell me on them. And so I do think that to some degree may help that you're not just, when, when I, back when I was interviewing for compute, before I realized I was unemployable and needed to work for myself. <laughs> well, we're lucky that you figured that out because we Thank goodness, right? soaking it up. <laughs> but you know, when back when I, it was, I never thought about, is this company a good fit for me? I was just always, please hire me, please hire me, please hire me. I want, you know, I'm looking from the outside. So I think part of it is really, you know, doing due diligence. Mm -hmm listening between the lines, looking at things like Glassdoor, seeing what you can find out. And honestly, ideally, if I'm working with someone who's really like, and I've had clients that have gone out of the frying pan into the fire. Mm -hmm. Like I thought I, I'm going away from this and this is worse kind of yep. thing. You know, one of the things that I say is you, if you are, if this is like, you're noticing 
This is happening a lot in your industry. I think part of it is you've got to find somebody there who will tell you the truth. Yeah. You've got to find a mole. (laughs) You've got to find, you know, what's the word on the street in the industry? Who do you trust? Who can you talk to who's not, doesn't have any skin in the game of selling you and will tell you, is this really a psychologically safe place to work or not. And don't go if it's not, don't think you can change it alone. Don't just go on, go on with your lovely life somewhere else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. What would be examples of a work environment that lacks psychological safety? Um, A lot of, well, I think, I think one thing, you know, one thing to check in with is, do you feel like you're walking on eggshells? Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean that you're not going to be strategic or discerning about, you might not just blurt everything, <laughs> everything. That's probably not very mature, but as I'm thinking about myself in my past at some points, but it's saying, okay, can I have a tough conversation? Can't do, does if my boss walks in or senior leadership or even a team member walks in, does my heart rate go up? Mm-hmm. If so, your body's trying to tell you, you don't feel safe. Do you overly worry and fret about how you will be treated? And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about, you know, it's, it's, I know people that just want to do such a good job and it's not because they're being yelled at. It's because they want to do a good job and they might stick up all night and worry about a presentation. That's good. Work on your work with your coach on that. Right. Right. <laughs> but if your concern is that if you don't do it perfectly, you are going to be degraded or even yelled at. That's not safe. Right. Nobody right. deserves that. There's nothing that important that you would be belittled mm-hmm. ever. How would so, you define psychological safety? So if these are examples of what, um, you know, what, what it looks like to have a lack of psychological safety, what does psychological safety look like or how would you define it? Yeah. I'm mean, like, what, yeah. what feels safe? And I think there probably are like technical definitions or Google, Google did this whole thing on project Aristotle, where they talked a lot about psychological safety. What's interesting is people that I know who have worked at Google don't consider it a very psychologically safe place, yeah. depending on your department and your team, of course. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like, okay, you did this work, but it doesn't get embedded. Yeah. Um, certain things they found like psychologically safe teams. One couple of the things I remembered is everybody contributes. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a sharing of voices. I think feeling like you have a, a way to get your voice heard. I think that is one of the things they measured for. Um, if I think about what to me feels psychologically safe, it means I can point out things that don't work. Yep. And it may not, there's, and there's a way of having that conversation even if the person says, ouch, that's hard to hear, or, oh, that wasn't my, you know, even if it's not like smooth, there's room for the conversation. It might take some courage to have it, but you don't feel like you're risking getting fired or demoted or, you know, having shit taken away from you because mm-hmm. you said, I don't think this idea is a good one. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
So there's wiggle room for mistakes. There's some wiggle room to not be perfect or don't have it right all the time. And to be able to collaborate in that moment, one, identify it, have the conversation, collaborate, and then move forward strategically together versus being isolated or yeah, punished or publicly embarrassed, you know, thrown under the bus in a meeting, having your ideas stolen, you know, a psychologically safe workplace is if somebody says, yeah, Kimmy, that's a great idea. Why don't you run with that and come back to us and, you know, see where you get with that. That's mm-hmm. like, that makes you feel good. Right. Yeah. I had a, an example of someone that I knew in an organization and every time she got to the point where she was starting to do well in the position or kind of getting, you know, getting the learning curve of the position, she'd get moved to a new one and she'd get told, yeah, you're not that good at this. Mm. And the truth was she was good at everything. And so psychological lack of safety is feeling that a psychological safety is you don't feel threatened but you also don't feel like you're a threat when you're just trying to do your job. Lack of safety is you start thinking, man, that person is that person who's important to my career. They seem to be threatened by me. I better be careful. You're smiling. I'm wondering if you had, if you, you can't see this if you're just listening, but I'm seeing a smile there. Have you had that happen to you? Yeah. And I think it's that, um, experiencing, having to experience, uh, turning down your light or your energy or your ability to not make others feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I have felt that in, in friendships and or relationships. And I have experienced that in team or work environments as well. Um, and so I, I am, I am smiling because that, that threat to others and then wanting to kind of turn down the volume of that so that you can go about your business, but not impact the whole, but really the whole is impacting you. The system and the culture is perpetuating this. You're like trying to navigate rather than just have that energy free to do your work. Now, some of us have work that is personal And, you know, so this plays in as well. And you're talking about turning down your light. You know, I think I have an old neural pathway from my family of turning my light down. And, you know, one of the, so there's also the personal work. And one of the things you're making me think about my business partner, Ursula, who's my partner in Be Above, and that there have been times where I projected onto her, Mm -hmm. she'll be upset And I've had to, because we do have a psychologically safe workplace and have had for over 20 years, I have had to like learn, like risk and say, Hey, honey, what if I, what if I do this? Is that okay? And then learn that it is safe. And she says, I'm proud of you. You go, you know, absolutely. Or because it's safe again, she has said like, wow, I'm noticing God, I have a little jealousy coming up. I should probably work on that for myself. That's telling me something I want. I mean, that's so awesome. She's not saying don't go be big in the world because I might be jealous. She's noticing that she has work to do and I'm noticing I have work to do. That's different than, you know, me saying to her, I want to go do this thing and her saying, well, what makes you think you're so special? (laughs) 
right, right. And checking in with the narrative that we're creating for ourselves, right? Yeah. The story I'm telling myself is this, that I'm going to be left behind or, you know, I, my gifts or skill sets won't be seen. And, you know, rather than, you know, really I, what we like to say is like lifting while you climb, you know? Oh, I love yes. that. Yeah. Yes. And, and a psychologically safe workplace, just like a psychologically safe, intimate relationship should be a place where you get to grow, mm-hmm. where you get to try this and you, and there's some safety around that and you get to polish your edges and grow. And I think about, you know, some of the generational and millennial and Gen Z, and if you are not providing that opportunity in the workplace for them to safely grow, they're going to vote with their feet. And I have to just share with you. So I have a friend who's an expert in, in generations. She must be a millennial herself. She was saying she's hearing more from young adults entering the workplace saying things like to her, like, yeah, I interviewed at that company, but it really struck me that the hiring manager was pretty narcissistic. So I said, no. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Vote with your feet. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, that's the ability to hold the standard for leadership. That's the ability to hold the standard and expectation for wh- where we want cultures and environments to start shifting towards, to becoming more psychologically safe and to be operating in that type of way. I'm curious of what is the impact on the nervous system and the brain operating in an unsafe, psychologically unsafe environment, work environment? Well, we're not designed to be always on alert. We're designed to have the ability to go into fight, flight, or freeze when there is a real threat you know, when we really need it, that to have that energy available. But, you know, if we think about in the best possible scenario of being on the Savannah, you know, with our, with our group, with our kin group, you know, mostly that's not going to be the case. It's going to be, there's going to be a time that the lions come into camp, but it's not every night. So yes, you get ramped up and you're ready to move and do what you need to do because the lions are here. Well, when you're in a workplace and your system is processing, probably maybe rightly so, that the boss is a lion and you don't know if you're safe or not, you might get insulted or might be okay, might just pass your cubicle by, let me just shrink into the woodwork like that. But if you don't know, what happens is your nervous system is always on alert. And that then means you are running more adrenaline and more cortisol through your nervous system, which can, you know, in a, there's a brain impact and there's a body impact. So the brain impact is we're not designed to think carefully when we're in a fight or flight or freeze situation, we're designed to move, you know, we're designed to do what is necessary to survive. So by design, our brains get kind of uh, blocked a bit so that we can just do what's critically necessary for survival and not higher level thinking. So you lose some of that creativity. You lose higher level thinking like empathy. You lose the ability to think abstractly. And so you get less creativity, you get less empathy, you get less of the ability to make good decisions and things like that. That's the brain impact. 
the body, you're draining your adrenal glands. Cortisol is shutting down immune function. There's all sorts of things like that, that basically say you're making yourself sick. And so toxic cultures, organizations that have a high level of stress and a toxic culture, what you will find is more absenteeism, more presenteeism, because people can't think, they don't work as effectively, and higher healthcare costs. Yeah. It's just stupid. It's just a stupid way to run a business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. How would you coach someone to identify if they're sitting in a place of healthy stress and nerves or unhealthy stress and nerves? I mean, how many times have you had maybe a client come in and say, you know, I don't know if it's me, if I'm the problem, you know, and a lot of times in unhealthy or toxic work environments, you are made out to be the problem or the person to blame, right? Mm -hmm. What you're feeling or experiencing is not that important and you should put your needs last or, you know, just this kind of idea of what is it when you're disoriented within this environment and can't really clarify or tune or see, you know, what, are you on a threshold of just healthy nervousness and stress, or are you tipped over into this kind of toxic environment? That's such a good question. And it's, there isn't like one necessarily like absolute black and white answer. One thing that I say is you look for patterns. I'm going to explore with my clients, whether it's in a intimate partnership or in a workplace or even in a friendship or a family, I'm going to look for the patterns that they are encountering. Mm -hmm. and to see, and I'm going to look for things like, are they, you know, is it legit? Honestly, as a coach, I'm going to look to see, is it, is this person having a nervous response because they are being grown mm -hmm. and their boss is saying like, Kimmy, I think you can take the lead on this project. And, you know, how about if you do a presentation, are they like, Oh my God, you know, I can't do it like right. that. In which case we might want to look at how you navigate that and how you build some skills and like that. Is that why they're having a nervous response because they're being grown or are they having a, a nervous system response because they're being devalued? The, the person is erratic. They are being gaslighted. They're being told one thing and then being said, I never said, I never said you could do that. I never said you could take on that project, you know? Are your ideas being stolen? Is there an apology ever when things, you know, go wrong? Is there a sincere apology? What I like to really look at, what is the pattern? The pattern will tell you a lot and then your body will tell you a lot, mm -hmm. but you got to map it to the pattern. You know, you're saying every time my boss comes in the room, you know, my heart rate goes up. Well, then I want to look at is that because your boss sees what's possible for you? And, you know, it's like, I like want you to be big and I want you to be super successful. And you're like, I don't know if I can do it. Right, right. right. And your heart rate goes up because of that. Or is it because they are erratic and your heart rate is, your, your system is going dangerous animal. Right, right. So that is one way to kind of identify when you're yeah. in a space that's lacking psychological safety and, or is potentially a toxic environment is just noticing the patterning and what's, where is that 
kind of generating from and what's the source of it? Is it, yeah. Are you, are you nervous about that growth and that transition and that change that actually could lead to positivity and expansion of self? Or, you know, is it really, you know, you're being dysregulated by those around you, the system and or the leadership. And it could be that if it is the first and there's all this growth opportunity and you're just like, oh my God, it could be, it's happening too fast. Yep. And you're getting thrown in the deep end of the pool. (laughs) I'll just use pool analogy because I know you relate to that. You're thrown in the deep end of the pool and you can't swim, but there's no ill intent. In which case you should be able to say, hey, I need a better plan. I need some mentoring. I really want to do this, but you just giving me this project. I'm not even sure where to start. Can you give me some mentoring? You should be able to design that because it's not coming from ill intent. But if it is that, and I've seen this with people, they're blaming themselves. And when I slow it all down and like, tell me, well, I think I'm overreacting to my boss, but he keeps promising me a raise, but it's been three years and every Christmas he gets a bonus, but I don't get a raise. You're being lied to. Mm -hmm. You are having an appropriate, and your system is screwed up because of that. You're having an appropriate response to being lied to. And sometimes what I need to do is help my clients see more often than not that the response they are having is not a weakness on their part. They are having an appropriate response to being treated badly. Wow. It is not a weakness on their part, no. but an appropriate response based off of what they're experiencing and what's coming into their system. Right. What's the pattern? What's the pattern here? You know, do you have a great idea? And every single time your boss takes credit for it. I had a client years ago who she, uh, she talked about the key responsibility areas, KRAs, her KRAs. He would uh, not tell her about key meetings that happened to be in another country that were necessary for her key responsibility areas. And then when she found out about it, he would deny her the budget to attend. She was like, Isolating, positioning, total. Ab- abuse of position mind f like Mm -hmm. and then and then guess what she would get her annual review and she would get marked down Mm. and it was all out of her all out of her control and so with her we worked on what i call a two-pronged strategy prong number one what else could you do honey (laughs) like what else we got What else? Like, where else can you go with your skills? Let's look at this. Let's get your resume up to speed. Let's network. That's number one. She was a fighter though. God, I love this woman so much. Um, such a fighter. And she was like, I'm willing to explore that, but I also want to explore what we need to do about him. Mm -hmm. And the best advice that the best way of going forward that we could find is document, document, document. And she did, she documented everything. And you know what? This tough lady, tough woman. She got him out. Finally took a lot. They did not want to hear her, but she was probably the fifth in a number of high level VPs under him who were ready to leave. And she, she did the documentation. Yeah. Wow. And I think oftentimes we feel that maybe that fight's not worth it just for us individually, but how many people are getting positively impacted by being 
the individual that wants to take those steps forward and have leadership in saying, Hey, this behavior actually is not right. It's not in line with integrity. It's not ethical. It's not whatever it may be. I think a lot of times we can say, you know, maybe it's just me overreacting, but a lot of times, you know, if you're feeling that way, there's probably more than one person that's, that's experiencing that. Yeah. And Kimmy, that's such a good, so good, because I think that was part of it for her. She thought, if I don't do something, this will continue. Right. And some of the research about high levels of narcissism, which by the way, and you probably know this, but narcissism is a description, not a diagnosis. We are just like you say, someone has sort of a negative attitude or, or seems a little depressed. It's like, you can describe someone as highly narcissistic without diagnosing them. How would you describe a narcissist? Let's oh, that. Yes. How would we describe it. It before we move in and hopefully I can yeah, get you- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like the behavior description and this comes from one of my heroes, a woman named Dr. Romani Dervasala. And Dr. Romani says, look at the behavior. And in fact, if you are trying to like talk to HR or get someone to understand, do not use the label because if you use the label, you are at risk for being dismissed because like, oh, everybody's a narcissist, you know, now everybody's a narcissist. So here's the behavior you want to watch for. Let's see if I can remember it. Um, it's an acronym. The acronym is CRAVED. Are they, and again, patterns, are they typically and habitually conflictual? Are they rigid? Are they antagonistic? Do they pick fights? Are they vindictive? Do they act like a victim? Are they entitled and are they dysregulated? So can they not regulate their own emotions and they blow off the handle like that? So you look for the craved behaviors and, and if you've got somebody who's checking most of the boxes, what's important to know is they're probably not going to change. And you're probably not the only one that is feeling this. It is kind of the emperor's new clothes. And if you can have the bravery to start saying, you know, this person is very conflictual. They act very vindictively. They're very entitled. Their emotions are dysregulated. They're very difficult to work with because of these behaviors that can be something that HR or whoever might be more able to listen to. And unfortunately, some of those behaviors, I think it's kind of a patriarchal male dominated model. We might say that because some of those behaviors are rewarded as being leadership. Yeah. When really it's narcissism. Yeah. And I think, I mean, just hearing you say, you know, a lot of times these individuals who are operating or, you know, checking those boxes consistently, uh, in behavioral patterns are not going to change. Um, and as a coach, and I'm sure you've experienced this over and over again, it's, it's that fine line of the two prong, right? What else, where else can you go and what do you want to do now in this situation and finding that balance of, you know, how much do you want to push against this? And maybe you don't even push, you know, I would ask you, like, how would you manage or approach or not approach? You know, you're in a working relationship with someone that has narcissistic traits. How do you work with or not work with, you know, an individual like that, who's you can, you know, maybe you can influence, but you most definitely are not going to change. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really 
It's a good question. And I think to be really fair and honest, it's how much energy do you have? Right. To actually get rid of somebody like that, you generally need allies. The woman that I was talking about, she did have a strong ally in the HR director who saw it, who could see it. You need allies. It's hard to do alone. You need to know you've got the bandwidth to do it. And it is totally fine if you don't, because voting with your feet is one way of voting. Right. Two other things that I wanted to mention. One is people say, well, should you, you know, should you like confront them or tell them, you know, no. <laughs> probably no. wouldn't be a good situation. Probably wouldn't be heard or received. Well. No, you're going to get, it's going to get flipped back to you. Right. You'll be the problem. You'll get gaslighted. You'll get everything you've ever done that's not perfect will get thrown at you. It will be harder on your nervous system and they're not interested. No, I think you have to work around, which for some of us goes against the grain because we want to have those difficult conversations and be courageous. And I just think there's an old Southern saying, you know, don't try to teach a pig to sing. It wastes your time and it annoys the pig. And that's how I feel. Or don't get in the mud with a pig. You'll get dirty and the pig likes it. And that's like, really, it's a little mean, but no, you work around that may go against the grain, but I tell you, you expose yourself more if you go head on with someone like this. Mm-hmm. The other thing real quick that I wanted to share is the other thing people sometimes ask me is maybe I'm the narcissist. Mm. Maybe it's me. I, you know, what about that? And so one of the things that I like to do is say, okay, coaching client who's being abused in this workplace. Let's just take a look and see if you are the narcissist. And what I do is I walk them through that. I say, "In are you habitually conflictual? Do you look to create conflict? Are you, no, I want everybody to get along. Right. Are you rigid? No, I'm pretty flexible. You know, are you antagonistic? No, I hate fights. Are you a victim? Well, maybe sometimes, okay, you can have one. Are you entitled? No, I don't think so. Are you dysregulated? Not unless all my buttons are pushed. Okay, you're not the narcissist. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I think, so I'm curious of, I think I'm hearing trusted allies, finding trusted allies, documentation, checking in on these patterns. What are other ways that you would coach someone to manage through either directly working with leadership that is following those narcissistic patterns and or just feeling unsafe generally? How would you coach someone to to kind of continue to manage through that or out of that? Yeah, such a good question. And thanks for highlighting what you did every. So this is also a set of behavior traits that can be on a continuum. Mm -hmm. So I also say how, how strong is it and how directly does it impact you? Mm -hmm. It could be that it's higher up on the food chain, but you still feel like you're doing good work where you are. And it's just a question of just kind of a little bit of a firewall you know, like the kind of firewall we have with our computers, you know, it's like, it's like you sort of put up a little like mental, like nothing comes in. I don't, I'm not going to really pay that take to heart that much what that person says. Now that works best if the person is a bit more at a distance and they don't have direct control over you. Um, and you still are finding some joy and value in your own work. I would just firewall it. Yeah. 
if you can. I've lived in that space as an athlete. I've had some challenging coaches in the past where, you know, their, their water polo mind was brilliant. Their delivery was not so much. And there was a serious filter or, or firewall, like you said, that I had to throw over to take the good, take the knowledge, take the experience and the wisdom of the sport and the leadership in bringing a group or a team together to play at a high level um, and leave all the stuff that's really not serving um, on the other side and find joy. I think the one thing about being on a team was that everyone could see when you were getting kind of beat down by the coach that day. And so we were all kind of in it together in a weird way. Um, and so that trusted allies that you could find was a lot more, you know, I think available, but that firewall definitely was for a season or, you know, a year or two that I was willing to say, Hey, actually, I want to stay here and build something great. I'll take what's the good and leave, you know, leave out what's not so good. <laughs> yeah, I that's a those are that's a really good example and I think there's a couple of things. One is it's easier to firewall when you know it has an end. Mhm. Like, right. you know, like the, that you've got a visiting coach or you've got a visiting, you know, somebody's come from overseas and only going to be there for six months and they're a jerk. This has happened with some clients of mine, yep. you know, the, but you're kind of like, okay, I'll suck it up. I'll just fire wallet for six months. Cause yep. I know it doesn't end. It's a hard way to live because you shut a little bit of yourself down. That's right. And you also said something really interesting that I think is the one of the reasons we tolerate this is the, and I'm not saying you did this, but it's the, right. I'm going to use Steve Jobs as an example. We'll throw him under the bus. So people talk about, well, you know, yeah, he was a you know sociopath or whatever you want to diagnose him as. He was a very toxic person to work around, screamed at people, things like that. But he was brilliant. Mm. And my response to that is always you are looking at an individualistic view of creativity and brilliance. And that is not actually how we work together. We work as more of a collective brain and there's lots of research on this. And so one person who has a few good ideas does not actually make up for all of the greatness that gets killed because yes. of their toxicity. And I think if Steve Jobs had not been yelling and belittling and making all of his engineers feel like shit, maybe we would have solved global warming. Mm. Seriously, like let's stop excusing this. Let's stop excusing these people because somehow we think we're they're valuable. We you don't know what is lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for individual performance and bringing that whole individual forward and what they have to give and collectively what could come together under that leadership. Yeah. It's, and, yeah. And I, that's one of the things that I have a zero tolerance for, for me is that if someone, I don't care what you've got in this isolated thing of wisdom or whatever, if you can't be in community in a way that enhances everyone's voice back to that equal sharing of voice in community, I am not impressed and I'm not interested, and you will not be on any team that I have a say in how it's created, because I don't think that makes up for what it costs. Yes. And I think just in that statement, that delivery that you just gave, I'm hearing such a gatekeeper of 
healthy cultures and environments with psychological safety. I could hear that very clearly. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And I'm wondering what, what can we do as individuals to start holding the standard and the line of creating more healthy work environments and safe work environments? Oh, it's such a good question. And it, there's such a, it depends. And so let me say something about one of the things that has been part, and I know you know this, of the human development field in the last 30 to 40 years is this idea of personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, point one finger out, you got three pointed back to you. You know, what am I responsible for? Let's look there. And that's been kind of revolutionary and super helpful and, you know, has maybe gotten us out of the idea that there's, you know, you don't always have to be a victim of whatever happened to you. Right. Yeah. So that's cool. So that on the hold accountable constantly, like yeah. you can hold yourself responsible. People don't have to hold you accountable all the time. Yep. And, you know, I can grow from things and I can look at my part in it. I believe what's happened is that that pendulum has swung for, so, so here's the challenge. There are some folks in this world that still need to learn that yep. they don't get it. They don't get, they're having an impact. They don't get, they're making choices. They don't get, they're contributing. It's all external. Then there are people often the highest performers in organizations, the best possible people who have taken that too far and feel responsible for everything. Mm -hmm. And like, there's nobody out there. It's just my, I'm creating my reality and all of that. We need to calibrate the people that don't think they have anything to do with it need to wake up and take personal responsibility. Yes. The people who are taking responsibility for everything need to have a more clear eyed view of what's going on. Because it is no more enlightened to take responsibility for things that are not your responsibility than to take responsibility for nothing. Yep. So I'm wanting like a better relationship with the truth. Mm. I think that's what we all need to do. And that includes looking at a situation. So I'll give you an example of this at a um, client who, this was in a personal relationship, but I'll, I think it translates to the workplace. I, you know, she would talk down a Monday morning and said, how are you doing? She said, oh, we had another fight over the weekend. I mean, it's such a fight. And I said, tell me what happened. And she told me the circumstances and her husband had not done something that he had been promising to do for like six weeks. And it was impacting her kids very negatively. And she called him on it and he didn't like it. And she got upset because he wouldn't take responsibility. And what she categorized that was as a fight. And I said, excuse me, that's not a fight. That's mm -hmm. abuse. The fact that at some point in the conversation, your energy went up and you responded in a heated way does not mean you were fighting. You were being gaslighted. You were being insulted. You were being told something is your fault and that you're a nag when you really just wanted your children to have school lunch money. Yeah. It's not a fight. Stop calling it a fight. And I think that's part of it is yeah. name it for what it is. Abuse yeah. is not a fight. 
holding the truth and holding the standard and expectation of the truth. I think, you know, it's interesting. What comes up for me is, you know, the teaching of left and right hemisphere where you have the freedom and chaos and uh, structure and rigidity and really finding the balance between you know, what you're saying is people who don't want to take any responsibility and people who take all the responsibility. And for those who are taking on all the responsibility, we don't want to give them more responsibility and have them crank down even harder on that. And those who are not taking responsibility, we don't want to kind of sign them off and say, they they won't take care of it anyway. So we're just not going to give them any responsibility, Mm -hmm. but what is it to really balance that out? And what is it to have leadership be able to recognize that and call people to and help teach how to create boundaries? I think boundaries is another thing that we could really talk about in in this. And, um, you know, what is it to kind of, yeah. What is it to kind of manage those and what do they look like in this space? I, I really love that. And one thing it makes me think of is, and I'm going to say this badly, but the wisdom of the serenity prayer, you know, the, courage to change what I can't, what, what is it to accept what I can't change, to change what I can change and the wisdom to know the difference. That is what I want. The wisdom to know the difference of what it is. And that might, that might not always be clear. And yeah, fundamentally, I think what is challenging in any relationship with someone who is calibrating on this craved continuum more very heavily narcissistic the challenge is that we say okay i'm going to set boundaries and they are boundary pushers they're not interested in your boundaries and to actually have a boundary can feel to a good-hearted person like having a fight when you're just trying to say like, no, I'm leaving at five o'clock. It's Friday and my son has a baseball game and I'm leaving, you know, and I'm not a bad person for that. Where where boundaries are easy is with people you don't need to have boundaries with. Right. That perspective <laughs> where, where I believe, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe uh, the narcissistic tendency is actually to use a boundary as a test and see how far they can push it. And it's almost like a dangling carrot for them because they're like, ooh, I get to play with this a little bit and see, you know, really how much this person will stay or go. Right. Yeah. And that is a really good point because that is something you can learn early on in an organization is, um, are your boundaries being respected or are they being pushed? And the other thing I think that I would say to people is we can all, like I said about the guy that I got involved with and my lawyer would be like, well, you sure can pick him. (laughs) I didn't pick him. I was conned, but he showed me his true colors fairly early on. And I didn't believe, I didn't want to see it. Hmm. And so, you know, and he pushed some boundaries and he did some bad behavior and, and it was a test to see if I would put up with it. If you are being tested, in an organization, if you're being tested about, will this person stand up for themselves if I steal their idea? Will they stand up for themselves if I throw more work on them? What will happen here? If that happens, don't be afraid to say, you know what, I made a bad decision and leave after a month. Mm -hmm. You know, don't feel like you've leave before you've got a sunk cost. Yeah. 
Yeah. Go ahead and just say, you know, I called it wrong because if you're being, if you're getting poked with your boundaries and not respected, you're probably being tested. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it makes me really want to thank and appreciate the good leaders out there that are finding ways to run organization teams, groups in a way that is healthy and safe and in line with ethics and integrity. Really, what is our collective push to hold the new way of being to a certain standard or expectation? And you know, what can we do to continue to make this change in a positive way? I love that you call that out because I think that is part of what we can do that's super positive is really celebrate the integrated leader, Mm -hmm. you know, celebrate the leader that understands both how to get results, but also how to care for their people and really celebrate both and really keep focusing on that it isn't one or the other and that you don't get the best results through screaming at people and that that's nothing to be admired. And I think really holding up these examples, and I think this is part of the problem is, and for people sort of coming up in leadership, there aren't enough examples. And so the more that we can write about them and feature them and talk about them um, and show people this is what you want. And I'll tell you, when I talk to, talk to, um, I talk to a lot of groups and a lot of organizations and I'll ask people, you know, what's the leader that you'd work for again? It's a great test, right? What's the coach you would, you know, that you would be on a team with again, it is always the leader who does two things. They get results. They know how to move stuff forward and they know that people are human beings, their heart and head. They know that. And those are the, everybody, if, if they describe a leader that they would, that they would go through fire for it's the both. Mm. Yeah. Those are, I'm, those are two incredible traits of leadership. And I even think the ability to build pockets of health within whatever team groups or organizations that you're working in, you know, what teams are doing really well, you know, what health or, or positivity have they generated to work well together as a team. And I just like this trusted ally. There's got to be at least one or two people within the space that you're working that you can partner up with to make impact and start kind of tilting the scale in one way or another. So this idea that you're not alone and understanding, recognizing your patterns and realizing when enough is enough and you can vote with your feet. I love that. Yeah. So thank you so much for your wisdom, your insight, your time. This has been incredible and so helpful. I cannot wait to share it with our listeners. Yeah. Any, any time, such a fun, wonderful conversation. So, so please I'll come and talk about anything. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for those who joined us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take the opportunity to share with a friend, follow mindful warrior and leave a review to learn more about mindful warrior and mindful warrior radio. Please follow us on Instagram at The Real Mindful Warrior and check out our website at www.mindfulwarrior.com. I look forward to our next discussion here on Mindful Warrior Radio.